Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, My City Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Well, it sounds like that's pretty apathetic, but I'll do my best today. Are you guys doing good today? Do you believe God's going to speak to you today? I believe he has a word for you, but it's your choice if you want to receive it. The Bible talks about the soil, that the seed was planted, and uh, some of it fell upon rocky soil. Some of it fell, it, it sprouted up quickly, then dried out because its roots couldn't get deep enough. Well, let me tell you today that you're the soil. You're the soil, and I want you to have a prepared heart for what God wants to speak to you today. You get to choose what kind of person you're going to be. Are you going to be open to receive what God has for you? Are you going to be expected or say, God, this is well-watered soil. Give me the seed, God. Grow in me, God, what you want. Today, I got a powerful word for you guys as we start off our Truth Project series. I hope that you're expected. I hope that you're ready. Uh, Over the course of the next six weeks, we're going to be tackling a lot of stuff. And uh, we're going to begin a journey of what does it mean to actually walk and live in truth? How many know that uh, truth is pretty much relative nowadays, right? And I want to be able to express to you that uh, the the Bible has the ultimate source of truth. And I'm not going to try to convince you of different worldviews. What I'm going to do is I'm going to point to Jesus. I'm going to point to the Word and what the Word says. Uh, If you have any questions regarding that, just come out and talk to me later. But after the six weeks, because we might answer them. Uh, throughout it, we're going to be talking about what's the family dynamic look like? Why is it father, mother, son, daughter? What does that look like? We're going to talk about what is the origins of man? Where does evil come from? I mean, it's kind of an odd question, but it's pretty prevalent today. What is evil? We're going to be talking about the role of government and what is God's role for government to serve the people? We're going to talk about even work and labor. What does God have in store for his people? And what does it mean to work? What does it mean to labor? A whole lot of different things that we're going to be covering over this Truth Project series. But today, we're going to be launching it off in uh, Romans chapter 2. If you have your Bible today, lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Let me see it. If you got your Bible on your phone, that's fine. Lift it up. Let me see it. That's great. That's great. It's important to bring your Bible to church. It's important to read your Bible. If you want to know what God has said, God is saying, read what he has already said. If you ask, why hasn't God spoken to me? Maybe it's because you haven't read what he has already spoken. God's not going to speak to you anything new beyond this. And he's not going to speak to you until you dive yourself into this. And so just right now, just hold your Bible and just say these words. Say, speak to me, Bible. I'm listening. I'm listening. Open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. As we read here this morning, it says this. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is the word metamorphosis. Metamorpho in the Greek is where we get the word metamorphosis. It's the same interpretation of when a a caterpillar turns into a cocoon and outside of the cocoon is a butterfly. Many of us want the butterfly, but we don't want the cocoon. Can I tell you that all of us are on this transformation journey of knowing who Christ is? All of us at some point in our life have to go through a cocoon where we wrestle with truths of this world and truths of God's scripture. And ultimately, you have the choice of what truth you are going to believe. It doesn't mean you're right, but you have the choice to believe which truth you're going to believe. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able 
transformed, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I want to let you know today that there is a trial going on. And what is on the stand right now, being in trial right now, is the word truth. What is truth? I hope to be able to elaborate on that a little bit this morning as a prelude into our series. But I want to talk to you about this topic or this thought, truth on trial. Truth on trial. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. God, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, good to divide bone and marrow. God, I thank you that what you speak, the words that you speak, do not return void, but accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. God, I pray that you would anoint my lips, that I would speak a thousand messages to each and every single person. God, that I would speak your truths. God, that the meditation of my heart and the works of my hands would be pleasing to you, God. God, that you would open up our eyes to see you. Open up our ears to hear you for who you really are. I pray that you would silence the deceit of the devil, that you would silence any kind of lies that have taken root within our souls. God, that you would uproot those lies and that you would plant truth into our hearts. So just right now, church, just open up your hands and say these words. Say, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. God, we thank you that your word is true. God, I pray that you would speak to us today, God. Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, Lead us into all righteousness this morning, God. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's wonderful people said, amen, 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 amen. Guys, put your hands together for the word of God this morning. How many of you have ever gotten that letter about jury duty? Anyone? I've gotten it. You have to call in and kind of see, am I being selected for today? So you call in and you say, okay, now some of us are kind of like, hey, I want to be selected. Some of us are just, it's just something I got to do. So you call in and they'll tell you on the automated voice message if you have to come in or not. Well, I got a letter. This was the second time I got it. And I was just calling in, you know, doing my thing. Well, it sounded different this time. And they say, juror number eight, two, seven, you have been requested to attend at, and it gives you the address. And so I was like, hey, I told my wife, hey, I got jury duty tomorrow. Looks like I got to go in. I called my employer. Hey, I got to go in to, to do jury duty tomorrow. So I walk in, and it's this room. It's, it's a courtroom, but it has about 50 people. I feel like I'm on, like, who's the best contestant on The Price is Right? <laughs> Eli Nelson, come on down. So I feel like I, ste- I step into this crowd of about 50 people, and I'm like, man, okay, so we need to, I get it, okay, we need to select like 12 people, and uh, do you want to be selected is the question. I didn't want to be selected, and most people there did not either, and what I found was most people were giving excuses and reasons as to why they couldn't be selected. Some were, hey, I'm really busy at work, I can't be selected for this trial. Some are like, hey, I can't be selected because I can't make the commitment because I'm a, a single parent, I gotta be able to take care of my kids. I just can't make it happen. So they were excused. And then the lawyers started asking questions. And what I found was the people that answered the questions, not the people that were quiet, actually got asked to leave and were excused, said, we don't want you to be on the jury. And so I was looking at my opportunity, I said, hey, this is my shot. If I don't want to do this, all I got to do is speak my mouth. <laughs> so they asked this question, they go, they go, I just got a general question for, for the, the potential jurors, is there honor amongst thieves? And I'm sitting there like, well, no one else is talking, here's my shot, you got one chance, don't miss your chance to blow, this opportunity comes once in a lifetime, you better, yes, there is honor amongst thieves because there's a certain level of morality that people are ready to put up with. 
this is okay, but if you take it too far, then it's not okay, which kind of doesn't really make sense, but it does make sense. So I told them, I said, yes, there's honor amongst thieves, and they started asking me questions about it. And then long behold, I didn't know it, but I ended up getting selected for the jury of 12 <laughs> because I didn't keep my mouth shut. I served my, my, my purpose. I was, everyone's supposed to. Like, I just did my, my, my public duty, right? Nothing wrong with that. You know, it, it's okay. It was a good trial. And the reason why they asked it, it was is actually the main witness on the trial was another thief. And he turned in his buddy because his buddy went too far. So that's probably why they asked the question. The question, question was relevant to the trial. I want to let you know today that court is in session. Court is in session. And what is on trial is truth. Trial is, is about truth. And we have a few different witnesses for truth. But I want to ask you this one question is, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Some people say the natural response would be to, to save people, right? Would that be a fair response? Yeah? What about like to redeem? To seek and save the lost? We've heard that before. You know, Jesus came to that. Uh, one of those, Jesus came to set the captive free. Anyone familiar with that? Jesus came to say, could I tell you that? Jesus himself actually said why he came. He came. He said, poor buddy. That's now we cry. He's okay. He's okay. Jesus himself actually said why he came, and we find it in John chapter 18. If Jesus said it, it's probably pretty important, right? As to why he came. We can speculate and we can give assumptions, but if Jesus said it, it's probably the truth. Pilate then went back inside the palace. So now we have a king on earth talking to the king of the universe. Put that in your pipe and, and read about it. <laughs> Summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Now get this, I would underline this if I were you. Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this, I came in the world to testify to the truth. To testify to the truth. What do you need to testify to? Why do you need to testify? You only need to testify at a trial. Jesus came to testify to the truth. Can I tell you that truth is under attack right now and has been under attack for millennia, for several millennia. Since the beginning of mankind, truth has been under attack. It has been in question and it has been tried to put into a box that is relegated to a certain person's beliefs and values. But can I tell you, since the creation of man, truth existed. Because before the world was formed, there he was. That word was Jesus. He was the word and the word of God. And Jesus came to testify to the truth. But the thing about testifying is that I can lie to you and tell you that is the truth. But until confronted by someone else that has a different belief or a different viewpoint, it is truth. Because Proverbs 18, 17 says this, in a lawsuit, the first to speak seems right until someone comes forward and cross-examines. 
Because I can try to mislead you a certain direction. I can give you a certain narrative to try to get a certain action. But if I get questioned by someone else, that's when my narrative gets in questioned. Jesus came to testify to the truth. That's the main purpose he came for. He did save, yes, that's great. To redeem, yes, that's great. But he said, for this reason and this alone I have come, to testify to the truth. In fact, in in the book of Matthew alone, over 75 times, Jesus says, Jesus says to me, uh, I tell you the truth. That's what he said. I was getting mixed up with John. John is a little bit different. We're going to go into that a little bit. He says, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth. I tell you the truth. It is hard for a rich man. I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, Jesus constantly said, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. Because we as human beings are constantly enamored with lies. Jesus came to tell you the truth. John as well, 25 times Jesus says these words, truly, truly, it's a double emphatic. It says, truly, truly, I say unto them, truly, truly, I say unto you, seek me not because you sell. Truly, truly, I said, say unto them, whoever cometh sin. Jesus is testifying to the truth. Jesus is speaking about the truth. Jesus is here. Now, what is truth? Isn't that the greatest question So Jesus comes to testify to a man the greatest greatest question of all mankind. You know what Pilate said right after Jesus came? I said to testify to the truth. Pilate said back to Jesus, what is truth? It's a great question. What is truth? But then we read a little bit further on in the book of John. It has several areas of who Jesus was. It says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus. John 14, 6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, tell you what. Jesus himself made this proclamation. Now, if you go back into history, you can, you can argue, did Jesus really exist? You will find there's plenty of evidence that he did. There is astronomical amount of evidence that he existed. Now, the question is, if he made that claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was either a lunatic wrong, a liar, or he was God. Those are the three conclusions you have. You actually really do not have any other ones. And we'll go on a little bit further. We'll talk about some people that that tried to disprove who Jesus was. John 17, 17 says this, sanctify them by the truth. Here we have sanctification related to truth. So you get saved, and then Jesus wants to sanctify you. Sanctification happens because of truth, and truth sometimes only happens because of confrontation. John 4, 24 says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Can I tell you, truth's a little important. Truth's a little important. Now, if I want to try to convince you of something, though, if I want to try to tell you what truth is, I can't come against you and just, get, and just attack your narrative. Your truth. Sometimes the best way to convince you of a truth is to silence the opposition and put into question anything that is counter to my truth. I silence the opposition. (laughs) The first person to say something is usually right, right? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. (laughs) And most people believed him until he wrote a tell-all book a decade later about and gave all details. But it's the first person that, usually the person that has the mic, hello, I mean, I have it right now. But I'd love to have conversations. I'd love to have conversations with people because this is the most important thing that we'll ever wrestle with is truth. 
what is truth. But I can do my best to try to convince you, but I'm not here to convince you. I'm not here to say you're wrong or I'm right. I'm not here to say I'm right and this person's wrong. I'm not here to do any of that. All I'm here to do is to point to Jesus and what he said. And we have the choice of if we're going to follow in line with that. We have the choice if we're going to believe who Jesus was, who he said he was, and who he is, and, who he, what he's going to, and when he's going to come. We have that choice. And so I'm not going to try to convince you, because understand this, that a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. I heard that quote, and then I tried to find reference for that quote to give credit where credit was due, and I couldn't find it. They kept saying, we don't really know where the quote comes. It's so generic that uh, it's a generic but specific point. We can't really give credit. So rather than mislead you and give credit to everyone or no one, I'm just going to tell you it's just a quote. (laughs) Man. (laughs) We're going to mix it up here a little bit. This will be fun. All right. So I'm going to say we're going to play a game. How many of you guys know two, two truths and a lie? Anyone know that story, two truths and a lie? All right. Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you Three truths, and I want you to find two truths, and I want you to find one lie out of that. So the first one is, and I'm going to ask you at the at the conclusion, hey, which one was a lie? And now everyone's going to raise their hand. So the first one is that I used to host a fight club in my parents' basement. The second one is that I have a body piercing. And the third one is, when I was a little kid, uh, I lied so much that people went around and they called me E-Lie. E-Lie. So I got a question for you. By show of hands, who believes number one is a lie? Let me see your hands. All you guys be like, he be a fighter, huh? <laughs> Eli would do it. We believe it. All right. All right. By show of hands, who thinks the piercing is a lie? Wow, a lot of you. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right, who thinks uh, that people used to call me Eli is a lie? Well, can I tell you that the piercing is actually the lie? The piercing is the lie. So if you got it right, put your hands together for yourself. Good job. That'll be most people in this room. But I want to put it into perspective. I have had a piercing. It's just not our typical sense of piercing. When we think of piercing, we think ear, nose, eyes, belly button, or Cuomo nipples. So we think of it that way. But I have had a piercing before. I've had a drill bit go through my finger on the other side. So technically, that's a piercing, right? But it's all about context. Well, what do you mean by that, Eli? Now, the curious thing that I want to present to you, this is what, this is what I, I boggles in my mind, is the moment I said I hadn't been pierced or I hadn't had a piercing or that was the lie, a lot of us jump to the conclusion, wow, so how often did Eli lie? And a lot of us thought, so tell me more about this fight club. Because our natural instinct is to seek out truth. We have a natural inclination to seek out truth. That the moment we find something is a lie, we immediately discard it. And we don't even give it any attention. Well, that's a lie. But we're, we're hungry for truth. But what does this mean? When we said, like, Jesus said these words, he has came to set the captive free. What were they held captive by? Were they in physical chains? No. He came to set them free from lies. 
Because lies hold people captive. You may not know it, but lies hold you captive. Lies hold me captive. Now, I lie to my kids sometimes. And before you judge me and before you, who's this guy with the mic? Someone get it. You do too. Papa, what were you doing in there? Taking a nap. Why was the door locked? For your protection. Your mental protection. It was, what, a week ago, Eva comes up to, to, to my wife, Kelly, and she goes, Mommy, why do you and Papa nap all the time? <laughs> but understand today that I'm not trying to rob you of your companionship to your idea. But when we understand that, to question someone else's worldview or to present something contrary to what you have been accustomed to accept as truth, we are naturally inclined to resent any opposition. Because we like to continue to believe in what we accept as truth, and the resentment that is stirred when doubt is presented against our truths, it leads us to seek any excuse to continue in our current belief. This results in our future disposition consisting of arguments to find reasons to continue in the belief that we hold so dearly. But it is the confrontation of our beliefs, our truths, that we take so seriously because it can come as an attack against who we are as a person. Because we find our identity in what we believe, and to question one's truth is to question one's identity. But if you can isolate yourself from the truth that you believe to be true, and take a moment to ponder the question, how do I know that what I believe is really real? How do you know that what you believe is really real? How do you know that you haven't been led, lied to? How do you know that? Now, yeah, I lie to my kids, but there's different severity of lies. The severity of lie is determined by the weight of the truth it conceals. What is on the other side of that truth? Now, when we're talking about questions presented that, that talk about against your truth, let's say they come against uh, your truth that you believe God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, let's say they're coming against your truth that you're saying that um, uh, life, when it's conceived, is formed in the womb. Let's say you're t someone's coming against your truth. Here's some good questions to ask people when they, when they present uh, a potential lie against your truth. And it's these three questions. I'd write them down. This is, uh, I, I want to thank uh, Frank Turek, actually, for, for giving me these questions. He's an apologetist. Apologet, ap apologist? He's, an, he's saying sorry all the time. <laughs> Here's three things. Uh, I would write them down. This is great, this is great for, uh, to ask people. So when I, when I said I, uh, I've had a body piercing, you should ask this question. What do you mean by that? Because I did have one on my finger. How did you come to that conclusion? And number three, have you ever considered question mark? Three things. What do you mean by that? How do you come to that conclusion? Have you ever considered? Those are three questions to always ponder, always ask people. And I want to play two truths and a lie again with you. Now, these two truths and a lie are a little bit more serious. But what if we've been misled to believe something that's not true? Because someone says it long enough and loud enough and because the majority of people believe it doesn't mean it's true. Just because it's posted everywhere, 
and fact checkers say it's not true, who checks the fact checkers? What if the fact checkers had an agenda too? Have you ever considered? Have you ever considered this? What do you mean by that? Have you ever considered? I got three, three truths, two truths in a lie for you again, and I'm going to ask in order and have you guys raise your hands. Number one is the ice caps are melting. Number two is hurricanes are getting stronger and stronger because of global warming. And number three is waters are rising, the water levels rising. How many believe number one's the lie? Some? How many believe number two's a lie? The hurricanes? Some? How many of you believe that the water level's rising? And some of you guys just don't believe anything at all. You believe all of them are true. Well, actually, there is a lie in, in that, but we've been led to believe that is true. It's hurricanes. Hurricanes are not getting stronger and stronger. They came out with that report three years ago, but we continue to hear it. Oh, another hurricane season again. We got to, climate change, we got to be watch out. This is going to get worse and worse soon. But they have evidence going all the way back to the early 1970s that's saying, hey, we have 50 years of evidence saying no. But you don't hear that because you get, if I want to control what you think, I control the information that you receive. But let me ask you this. Okay, let's go into ice caps a little bit. If any of you guys believe in the Ice Age, I mean, we, we, we're all kind of on the same consensus that the Ice Age happened, right? We believe the Ice Age happened. I mean, there was so much snow that snowed at one time that it covered woolly mammoths so fast that there was still green food in their bellies. So this was pretty fast snow. So if you believe in the Ice Age, however long ago it happened, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, then there's evidence to support that their ice caps were formed because of the Ice Age. And so what if instead of the earth actually, the ice caps melting because the earth is deconstructing, what if they're melting because the earth was healing? Have you ever considered? We believe that it was a very warm climate back then. Have you ever considered? Well, let's talk about water level rising. We know we hear this. If the ice caps are melting, then naturally the water would rise. It's naturally. Now, we know that there were land pass in between England and Europe. We know in main, mainland Europe, we know that there's land pass between Australia and India. We know that there were land pass. So naturally, we have evidence that the water's been rising for several thousand years. So now let's go into a little bit more. What we find is that when I confront your, your belief, what you find is that when you corner someone into a, when you corner someone into a corner, they start to lash back and they start to bite. And so they naturally rebuttal as, oh, you're just not a, who are you to say? You're not a scientist. We've heard that before. Oh, you're just a racist. You're a homophobe. You're just a sexist. You're just a Christian. You believe that weird stuff. So they attack you as a person rather than the argument that is presented. The ad hominem fallacy is something that's very prevalent in in, in this time period where we attack the person rather than the argument, where we go after the person rather than the argument. So I want to present a few other things with you that we're naturally inclined to believe what we already believe because of this word, cognitive bias. I can tell you that the evidence is all around you, but it's the interpretation of the evidence that we should learn to question. If a person comes up to me and says, I believe in science, that the world is 17 billion years old, and I say, how do you know that? and you speak to the evidence, I ask, what evidence? 
You say the evidence I was told by someone who has a worldview that interprets the evidence that they find through the lens they look through and the narrative they believe. You will find the results if you look for it because you're looking at it through a lens and you naturally put aside all the other possibilities that could be so. Because your mind is not open to the possibility that you are being misled and we take it personally when our truth is confronted because at the core of who we are, we act out of the truth we believe. Cognitive bias. I have a watch on, and I love this illustration. It's by a man by the name of William Paley. He says, no person in their right mind is walking through a forest looking at their trees who finds a watch on the floor, says, wow, isn't this amazing what the trees and the rocks and the dirt and the debris have made? Look at this. I think I'm going to call it watch. No one in their right mind comes to that conclusion. Absolutely not. But we do the same when we look at the complexities of human life. We do the same when we look at the complexities of order in the universe. We do the same and say, wow, what are the possibilities? What's the chances of all of this happening and coming into place? Richard Dawkins, he's a, father, he's a modern atheist, says this in The Blind Watchmaker, in a rebuttal to this argument, he says this, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Can I tell you that maybe you're looking at it through a lens that you want to see? The appearance of being designed for a purpose. Francis Crick, co-discoverer of DNA, said this, biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see was not designed, but rather evolved. Because the, high, the skies and the heavens declare the glory of God. No one looks at Mount Rushmore and says, wow, look what the rain and the wind has created. And no one looks at Mount St. Helens and the canyons and the crevices that were, happened because of an eruption and says, wow, look at what has happened over millions of years. No, because we saw it happen. But if I'm trying to control a narrative, I speak to you only slight truths. Several other things that are rebuttals to things that we don't even know a whole lot about is irreducible complexity. How can I have something form if both of them had to be at the same time? What are the chances of the bombardier beetle being formed? Where it has two different gases and it spouts out at the same time to create an explosion to scare away any kind of predator. And it has a baffle that keeps in place that keeps the gas from fire from coming back in and exploding the beetle. I would have loved to have seen that evolutionary process. Oh, he died again. Man, but he had so many advances. Now we're back to square one again. It's called irreducible complexity. You take one component out, nothing works. You take another component out, and it destroys the being that's hosting it. They look at it this way. They say, well, it's really like Jenga blocks. All these pieces are missing, and then they're all kind of coming together to create this tower. You know, it's Jenga in reverse. And I got one question. Where'd the blocks come from? Another rebuttal, Richard Dawkins' favorite rebuttal to Christianity, he says this, you talk to any Christian, you say, hey, explain to me pseudogenes. We have genes in our body that don't serve no purpose. That, that is evidence of evolution. He says, it silences every Christian every time. Well, I got a question. What makes us think that we know everything about the body? And if we really believe in degeneration that has happened because of the fall, this is true. We don't know everything about the body, but we claim we do. The appendix has been known as a useless organ for decades. But we found out within the last decade that it actually serves as a vital, vital part of hosting uh, healthy digestive um, bacteria. 
and is hosting them. But we've said for decades that, oh, it's useless. It's just part of evolution. We've moved on. So we come at it thinking that we have everything figured out and we know and we ignore the creator because that's what we're looking to do. Why is there order rather than disorder? Why is there morality? Why is it okay not to kill someone? If truth is relative and truth is subjective, then what if Hitler was living his truth? What if Hitler was saying, hey, this is just, I'm staying true to who I am. I hate the blacks and I hate the Jews. I'm trying to eradicate all of them. Do you know why Hitler was going against black people and Jews? Do you know why? Because of a simple book written by the man named Charles Darwin, Origin of Species. The preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. Hitler himself believed that certain people were less evolved than others. And to help humanity reach its full potential, they had to euthanize the people that were holding humanity back. And we wonder why we have a race problem. Actually, we don't have a race problem. We have a sin problem. But we wonder why, because everything we're ever taught is that we all evolved from monkeys, that we all came from the zoo, from the goo to the zoo, and on our way to whatever. I go to the zoo the other, a few months ago, and it says, I look at this, this monkey, and it says, this is the closest relative we have to, to, to our past human being. So why is he in a cage? Get my man out of the cage. He's my brother. Get him out. But it doesn't make sense. So you're just told to live a certain life that only goes to certain truths that they want to. And so we live all this in the name of science. This is how we base our lives. Don't question science. Can I tell you, the thing that comes against the church is not going to be any kind of other religion. It is going to be a narrative driven in the name of science that we're lunatics for believing that God created the earth, that we're lunatics of believing that God rose from the, Jesus rose from the dead. We're lunatics in believing that you pray to something. This man, his name's C.S. Lewis. He was an atheist who went out to disprove Christianity. And can I tell you, I've never seen a, 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 I've seen a lot of atheists go to disprove Christianity and become Christians. I haven't seen a lot of Christians go to disprove atheism and become an atheist. But he said this, he said, I dread government in the name of science. That is how tyrannies come in. In every age, the men who want us under their thumb, if they have any sense, will put forward the particular pretension which the hopes and fears of that age render most potent. If we're gonna see the Bible banned, it's gonna be in the name of science because it speaks against the narrative that is of today. It speaks against creation, it speaks, it actually gives a lot of solutions to racism, but we're not even paying attention to it. Well, because we're taught that people are, are monkeys and you evolved from monkeys. You're not a monkey. You were created in the image of God. That solves racism right there. That I can look at you as a brother in Christ. Not about something that, well, you're just less evolved. That has nothing to do with it. It's all about control. And it absolutely blows my mind and it makes me extremely irritated. I'm not even expressing a little bit of it right now. The fact that we continue to go down this path trying to find all, solve all of the world's problems without God. And if the Bible is going to be banned, it's going to be this book first. It's going to be the book of Romans because it speaks to some of the most complex arguments that were presented against the church. 
Paul wrote to the book of, wrote to the Romans, there was so many Jews, Gentiles, etc. that were within Rome. And Paul wrote to confront the lies that they were believing and what was happening. He says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, the, eye, the skies and the heavens declare the glory of God. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Can I tell you that science makes sense only when it fits the narrative that they want to push? Because we completely disregard it when it comes to things like abortion. Okay, it's a beating heart. Well, it's not a human yet. Okay, well, it has feeling. Oh, well, we just we need to have a little bit more humane uh, abortion so that the, the fetus doesn't feel pain while we're killing it. Science only fits when it supports the narrative. So now we have gender dysphoria happening right now. We completely throw science out the window. Do you see? I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to ask this question. Have you ever considered? Where did it all begin? It all began in Genesis. And this is where I'm closing. You can stand to your feet. Adam answered God. He answered, he said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Jesus asked this question to Pilate. Who told you? Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. How did the devil deceive Eve? These one's words, did God really say? Did God really say? When you start to question if God really said this, and you start to only pick and choose things that you want out of the Bible, you are deceived. Did God really say? There is a battle going on between truth and lie, and it started in the garden. And the devil's truth claims were, you will not surely die, but you will be like God. There's a natural regression to humanity, and it's this that we tend to suppress the truth. When we suppress the truth, we abandon God. We then claim false truth, and then we claim to be like God. It's been happening since day one. The Bible has the answers. I just gave you plenty of evidence right there of where we're at in society today. People's natural tendency is to solve all of the world's problems without God. I'm curious to see how it'll go. But can I tell you, if the church is going to be a light on the, on the hill, a, city in the a light in the darkness, a city on the hill, there's got to be something that separates it. It can't just be compromise. It can't be just like you do you. Just, just love Jesus. 
There has to be a level of sanctification by the truth that has to come from knowing God and seeking God. I'm going to close with these verses here. It says, John 8, 32 says this, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Well, the Jews answered him, and get this right here. He says, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They were slaves for 400 years, but they were so good at living a lie that they claimed it as truth. But they easily just overlooked it. Why didn't they want a truth? Because it demands accountability. Demands accountability for what you're believing God for, what you're living for, what your purpose is here for. It demands a response from you. You don't just go out and live life, do whatever the heck you want. Yeah, I guess I just said heck in church. Okay. <laughs> it demands a response. And this is the last verse I want to close here with. It's Matthew chapter 16. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. What do you say Jesus is? Jesus asked this question to Pilate. He said, was that a conclusion you came to by yourself, or did someone tell you about me? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he the truth? Is he the truth? When you look at God, do you see a representation of what truth is, or do you just try to fit your own narrative? I peace and I take a God what I want, to fit what I want to believe, but everything else I'll take from the world. Can I tell you, the only thing the world is feeding you is lies. Only thing the world is feeding you is lies. He said, what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And I want to ask this church, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? It's important, but it's also okay to wrestle with. Because it's a path and a journey that I've been living my whole life. And what I've learned is that Jesus is the truth. He is the way. And no one gets to the Father except through him. I asked this question at the beginning of service. I said, Jesus was three things. Either a liar, a lunatic, or God. There's proof that he exists. He's either one of those three. And what you make of him will determine your belief system. Will determine the truth that you believe. I want to pray for you real quick. I hope this word blessed you this morning. I hope that you receive from God today. It's a little bit different than most services, but um, I believe this is what separates the church from the world. I absolutely do. And as a church, I want to be that one that reaches the darkness, that reaches those that are lost. But if I'm going to reach the world, I have to be separate from the world. And so let me pray for you this morning. And then we're actually going to go straight into a, a salvation moment. But I'm going to pray for you real quick. And then I want to give a chance for some people to respond. God, I thank you for your people. Your people. God, not just my city church, but the church. God, and so right now we come before you and we pray, God, that you would set us apart. God, that we would be the bride of Christ. God, that is prepared for your coming, that we'd be people that know you for who you really are. God, as you promise that you will send us the Spirit, and the Spirit will lead us into all truth. God, I pray against any suppression of the Spirit in this house. I pray against any lies that have been, that have been presented in people's minds and their hearts. I say uproot in Jesus' name. 
I say you have no place in Jesus' name. God, and I pray that the truth of God and who you really are would be prevalent in this church, would be prevalent in the global church. God, that we'd be set apart for your use. God, we'd be people, God, that are claimed under the name of Jesus, that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That it's not about what I want to be truth, it's about what is truth. God, and I pray that your church would be set apart. God, that people that are wrestling with different questions or things that were presented today, God, I pray that you would lead them just right now, Holy Spirit, that you would lead them into truth. God, that they would have a hunger for your word, that they would have a hunger and thirsting for righteousness so that they may be filled. God, I pray that you would set apart your church in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.